this is the education show unlocking opportunities in teaching and learning through collaboration proudly brought to you by zabuza.net and it is another edition of the education show this uh, is proudly brought to you by the guys at ens africa and from ens africa we have rory frank hello rory hello david how are you doing Good, man. Great to have you with us. A couple of special guests as well. Um, we've got uh, uh, somebody who's currently doing their community service at the new Somerset Hospital, uh, and that is Ali Parker. Hello, Ali. Welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. And then uh, Michaela. Michaela is uh, currently studying as a CA, and I've already expressed and sent her my condolences. But let's, <laughs> let's jump right in, right from the very beginning, because... When we're growing up, um, it's one of the things that I think most parents tell their children that they need to be when they grow up. You either need to be a doctor, a lawyer, or an accountant. Those are the top three. And um, we've explored a lot of other uh, uh, professions, et cetera, et cetera, but we haven't really dove into what does it take. So I'm going to start off because if people are listening to the podcast and they're thinking, heck, I want to go into one of those professions, uh, I want to find a little bit more about what you need to do up front before you can even get there. So, Ali, if I may, um, and, and thank you for taking time out to talk to us now, because I see uh, you're working in emergency medicine at the moment. So, I would imagine you're very busy and uh, quite sleep deprived. So, uh, let's start off with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us a bit of a bio. Okay. So, I'm born and raised in Cape Town. Um, was a Ronnenbosch boy from grade one to grade 12. Then I went to UCT, um, studied medicine there uh, for six years. I completed my degree in 2018. Um, I then did two years of my internship, um, which is basically supervised um, practice at uh, Chris Honey Baragwanath Hospital in Soweto, which is the third largest hospital in the world and the largest in the, in the Southern Hemisphere. It's also world-renowned, especially for trauma. Um, as you can imagine, in South Africa, we have quite a bad burden of trauma. Um, and then this year, I've come across to New Somerset Hospital um, in Cape Town, um, opposite the waterfront, to do my community service um, in emergency medicine. Um, yeah, currently practicing there. I do do some outreach at the Noon uh, Clinic, um, which is sort of in Mulnett and Maitland sort of area. Um, and I see a wide variety of, of patients because emergency medicine is basically the first line that comes in. So no matter what problem you have, whether it's a cough or stab to your abdomen or you're about to give birth or anything like that, emergency medicine will sort you out first, make sure you're stable before you go to any other department. Um, yeah, I don't know what else there is to say. Let's start off at the very beginning then. I mean, did you always want to be a doctor? Is this one of those stories where from when you were a youngster, you wanted to be a doctor? Because as I understand it, um, if you're wanting to be a doctor, you need to start work when you're still at school and you've got to work hard. Talk to me a bit about that. Okay, so yes and no. I would say that Yes, because my father actually started doing medicine, studying medicine when he was, you know, um, when he had just finished school. Um, but because of financial situations at the time, he couldn't complete um, and he had to drop out. Um, so because of that, he always sort of pushed me along to do medicine um, and in a way sort of 
groomed me from probably about the age of seven that I would be a doctor one day. Um, so in my mind, that's kind of the only profession that I really took seriously. And um, it's not to say that it was because he forced me to do it. It's just something that was always subconsciously ingrained into me that I would be the doctor. Um, but then I said yes and no. So the no component of that is that I always wanted to do professional sports or something in that sort of direction. It's just I lacked in the talent part of that um, uh, in, in that. So uh, medicine was generally the thing that I was kind of groomed to do, not just by my father, but also from my teachers and just the sort of environment that I grew up in. Um, yeah. All right. Now, now we're going to move on in just a little while to, to our other guests. But um, Ali, in, in terms of subjects at school and preparation for getting into varsity, what should people be doing? What subjects need they, do they need to take? And, and how well do they need to do? Okay, so medicine is obviously one of the most difficult things or the most dif difficult career paths to get into in terms of university. Um, the subjects that you need to do, um, you need to have physics and mathematics. Depending on which university you're going to, you need to have biology as well. Um, but for, I'd say... Out of the big universities, 90% of them, you need biology and or life sciences, as it's called nowadays. Um, but I would highly recommend that life sciences is one of your subjects because your entire first year of university and throughout your medical career, you'll need to know biology. You'll need to know anatomy very well. You'll need to know physiology. And life sciences is the basis of that. Um, but the main subjects that they do look at is your maths, your physics, and your life sciences. Now, depending on which university you go to, there are different criteria to get in. Um, UCT and Wits University in, in Johannesburg are, are seen as the two most prominent or the most renowned universities, I think, in South Africa in general. Um, but they are the two most difficult to get into. Um, but as minimum requirements, you will need eight, above 80%. And I'm saying minimum because it's not in reality, what you actually need to get into, but minimum requirements is about 80% for your, your maths, your physics, your third subject in there, whether it's five sciences or not. Um, and then for your English and your Afrikaans or your second language, whether it's Kosa or Zulu or Sutu, whatever it is, you'll need 80% and above for all of your subjects. Realistically, you'll probably need above, I would say, 90% for your maths and your physics and then above 85% for at least one of your languages to get in. And the reason why I say that is because your schooling is one part of your sort of application process. And the second part of your application process is your, your MBTs. And in order to do well in your MBTs, you need to score high in your, your, your um, the different sections of them. And it's a lot of maths sort of related things and then English related sort of things. So your first language kind of thing. And if you don't have the basis in, in that, it's very difficult to get into. Um, nowadays, you also need uh, extramural activities. So, you know, if you were part of different societies, if you um, have sporting ability or if you have, you know, cultural colors, whether it's music or drama or something, all of those things definitely play a part. And it's basically the case of the better your, your CV is leaving school, the better chance you have of getting into medicine. Yeah. All right. So you've got to start early 
you've got to be disciplined. There's a bunch more questions, but uh, I want to move over to you, Rory, very quickly, if I may. We've chatted to you a couple of times, um, but uh, mm. we haven't really spoken too much about uh, your direction. So talk to me as Rory, who wanted to be a lawyer. Yeah, so David, my path is quite quite weird and quite funny because um, I was supposed to land up in IT, in the ISI. That was more my family gain. Um, but I think for me, it was doors started opening. Um, I did a combined undergrad. So if I go back, so I started off with a BCom law in information systems, and that allowed me to almost understand a bit of commerce, a bit of law, and I could major in information systems. And I did that at UWC. Um, and I felt a, a bit of a, a knack or I got a knack for law and I started enjoying the, the almost the topics that were covered and just the mere fact that law is very broad. So I landed up uh, pursuing law and I got into UCT. Um, so my path is quite doors opened, certain doors closed and so forth. And it was quite a long road. But I think for law in general, it's a lot of people have a passion for it at high school and one similar to Ali's situation is your hard work needs to begin early days in at high school um, when you start putting yourself or putting yourself towards yourself and starting to study and being be able to almost compete with other students at different schools and um, be able to have a CV that talks or almost academic report that talks to the universities. Um, so averaging between 70, 80%. And then, yeah, then hopefully you do well in your MBTs and you get into the various institutions. Okay, but so so again, it, it boils down to you. You need to put your nose to the grindstone, so to speak, and and get on with it. Yes. What what subjects specifically in the legal uh, field do you need to take then, Rory? So I don't know the exact subjects at the moment because when about ten years ago, I think. Uh, matriculated. Um, I think you could even do law with maths lit, for instance. And then there was talk of that they're only accepting maths. Um, but I think the most important aspect of applying for almost two universities um, to study law, it's just having high marks. There's no, if you do the one subject, you might be benefited. I think it's just generally speaking, you need extremely high marks. Um, because I know for a fact that some people that did um, drama or arts or some form of arts which wouldn't be normally associated with law um they had high marks for those subjects and they also got into law so i don't don't know um if there's the exact criteria of set subjects that you require but just try to make sure that you do perform well at, in your matric level um but i think also a big part of law is people are doing undergrads and there are few universities um that prefer an undergrad prior to your postgrad law so with the undergrads, normally have choices of doing a BA law, um, a BCom law, for instance, and there's obviously various um, other undergrads you can do. And if you perform well in those undergrads, you are then able then to go into postgrad law. And in my opinion, that's normally the better option because you land up being more mature. Um, you understand yourself more. You understand if you want to do law and then you'd rather choose a postgrad in law. And I would think that at many law firms, there are is some sort of um, favoring towards more mature um, applicants and um, or uh, applicants with two degrees instead of one. So that's the, all law firms work differently. They have different criteria. But from my perspective, I think a lot of students that excelled at their law degree were more mature and they had undergrads. So they knew 
um, how to adapt to life at university when things will get quite tough. Okay, good. Now, on to you, Michaela. Because you're, Hi, probably David. Gonna, you're probably going to tell me that the, my two worst subjects are the two subjects that you need the most in order to become <laughs> a chartered accountant. Um, and, and each and every one of you guys that I'm speaking to, I'm totally in awe of, of the fact that you've achieved this and that you've managed to study like this. Because most of the time I have the attention span of a gnat. So, uh, you know, I, I call it squirreling. I dive all over the place. Um, so talk to me, Michaela, about uh, your journey. Did, did you want to be a chartered accountant? Um, so, David, I wouldn't say when I was a little girl, I set out to be an accountant. I was raised by a strong, independent businesswoman. And I think I kind of took a page out of her book. And I said, what can I do that will um, put me, I guess, in a good position? Um, and then when it came time to choose my subjects, um, accounting just happened to be one of my top marks at the time. So the subjects that I took when I was in school, I took accounting, business studies and physics. So um, I always had a knack for accounting, I'd say. And I think um, based on my results at school, it kind of just led me in that direction. But as I say, I had a vision of being a strong, independent businesswoman as I was raised by one. Um, and so accounting just fit, I'd say. Um, I then, I attended Herschel Girls High School. I then went um, to UCT and I completed an undergraduate degree in BCom Financial Accounting. Um, but specifically with regards to taking accounting in school and whether you actually need it um, when you're completing your undergrad. So I was at UCT and what they do is they actually split um, uh, our group into um, students that have studied accounting in high school and students which have not studied accounting in high school. Um, as someone who did study accounting at high school, I would definitely advise it because I mean, that is going to be your career going forward and it just helps to have that foundation. Um, and I said, set me up um, going forward in my studies as I had that foundation going into university, which was very helpful. Um, and then obviously the universities always look at maths and um, one of your languages. But overall, as Rory and Ali were saying, I think overall your academic record needs to kind of speak for itself in that you need to make an effort to do well in school because those are the kind of students universities want. They want students that they can see have applied themselves, are hardworking because it doesn't get easier when you get to university. And especially the accounting journey, it's not a straightforward one. So um, for those who are not familiar with how to become a CA, <laughs> basically, you do three to four years of undergrad, you do one year of postgrad, and you have to complete two board exams. The first exam is called an initial test of competence, otherwise known as ITC. 
And the second board exam is known as an assessment of professional competence, which is otherwise known as APC. And um, you also have to complete three years of articles. Once all that's in the bag, hallelujah, you're a qualified <laughs> CA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Hey, I, I think a lot of times, you know, the whole articles thing that that generally to me is um, indentured labor for three years. <laughs> <laughs> you, you guys really don't get paid terribly well, but uh, you get made to work incredibly long hours. So your journey then, Michaela, if, if somebody if, if nobody has obstacles and I know that obstacles happen because life is not always moonlight and roses. How many Absolutely. years from leaving school to having that shiny little piece of paper in your hand that says, <laughs> I am a CA? How long? So a minimum of seven years. Seven years of your life. Yes. Okay. So basically how it will work is um, if, for example, you go to UCT, you have a choice of either doing BCom or business science. So BCom is three years, whereas business science is four years. So if you're looking for the shortest route, you'll do three years of BCom, one year of postgrad, and then three years of articles. And while you're doing your articles, you'll write your board exams. So the first board exam is generally written in your first year of articles. And your second board exam is written in your second year of articles. All right. And, then, and whereabouts are you on your journey now? So I'm actually in my third year of articles. Um, I took a bit of a, um, I'd say a roundabout journey. So I'm working and studying at the moment. So I'm in the process of completing my postgrad qualification. But thankfully, my articles will be behind me at the end of this year. <laughs> well done. <laughs> All right, let's move back to you, Ali, because um, the, the journey to becoming and, and to being able to call yourself a medical doctor is also a fairly long and winding road. Um, so you go there, you study medicine, and then what happens? Because now you're talking about doing community service. There's a whole lot of bits and pieces that people need to take into account. Talk to yeah. me a little bit about that. So after school, you start your undergrad program, which is six years. Um, and at the end of the six years, you leave with a degree in medicine and surgery or bachelor's of medicine and surgery. So that's six years. Then the next two years is basically supervised um, practice. And what I mean by that is you will be working in a hospital where you are a qualified doctor able to prescribe medication, um, but you just have to do it in a sector where there are um, either consultants, which are specialists, or what we call medical officers, um, grade three or grade two medical officers who are basically, they have good experience in that particular field. And the, the idea behind it is that you are you are practicing, but with somebody sort of guiding you so that you are still able to ask questions. Um, and that will be over two years. In that time period, you go through different specialties within medicine itself. So for example, you do a block of four months of internal medicine, four months of surgery, four months of obstetrics and gynecology, pediatrics, and you'll go through all the different specialties over the two years um, so that you are competent in every single one of those specialties in that time you see patients you manage them yourself and you know if you need help you can there's always somebody to ask for help when you do your comms your community service which is the year after that after those two years you are basically 
giving time towards um, the public sector or it is, yeah. So you could either be in a, a nice hospital like I am at New Somerset Hospital where I do still have supervised um, sort of practice, um, but you are allowed, but you can also end up in a place, you know, a rural sort of area where you are the only doctor for a radius of 100 kilometers. So when you are, the, when you are in community service, there's a lot lower likelihood that you will have somebody to ask for help. Um, and it's basically a year that you are, you know, working in a public sector and yeah. Um, so yeah, so it just really depends on where you are. Okay, and then now, afterwards. Yes, that's the important part. I wanted to say now, now you've done this, then what's the, is there next? There must be next. So um, afterwards, it used to be the case of, you know, you will just walk into a specialty where you will kind of be doing a postgraduate sort of training in order to specialize in a particular field, or you can be a general practitioner as well, where you don't have to specialize. However, these days, because we are producing a lot more doctors throughout the country, that is because um, the medical schools generally accept more applicants, number one, and number two, because there are more medical schools now than there were um, previously. So, you know, more universities, more medical schools. So the, the big issue now is that you actually find it quite difficult after community service to get a job and the competition for a specializing post is a lot more difficult as well. Um, so, you know, in order to get into, for example, if you want to specialize in surgery, um, you generally have a two to three year waiting period where you will apply to be a medical officer. And what a medical officer means is that you work in a you know, in a public sec in a public hospital or a public clinic, and you will be in that specialty, but you are not a registrar. So you're not in an undergrad program, I mean, in a postgrad program just yet. Um, and you can't say that you are specializing to become, you know, a surgeon at that point. Um, yeah. And then there are lots of different routes that people take after their community service. Um, some people choose to stay in clinical medicine and clinical medicine basically means practicing medicine with patients or they go into a consulting sort of position where they will sort of work for pharmaceutical companies or insurance companies, and they will look at claims and things like that. It's more of an office job. And then you get a lot of people who leave medicine as well. Um, and that's for various different reasons. Um, yeah. So after community service, it's kind of the end point of guaranteed employment and it becomes, you know, where do I go next? And that's completely up to the doctor. Um, yeah. Up to the doctor and yeah. Okay. Where are you going next? What do you want to do? So, um, yeah. So the reason why I've been studying recently is because in order to get a job after community service, you have to have a CV that sort of outperforms everybody else. You need to sort of highlight yourself as somebody that has done a bit more. Um, so my sort of path that I want to take is orthopedic surgery. Um, so, I want to basically fix broken bones and mus musculoskeletal injuries. Um, and in order to do that, in order to get a post, because it's one of the most competitive specialties to get into, I'm currently, well, I just finished a course on advanced trauma life support. Um, recently, I did advanced cardiovascular life support, and I'm writing a diploma in emergency medicine um, next week, Monday, actually. Um, and all of those things will boost my CV. So when I am applying for one of these, you know, these entry posts like in a medical officer post, it will highlight me and it will give me a better chance against, you know, somebody who has similar sort of 
you know, university and training, but they don't have all of these courses to boost SUV. Yeah. Sure. Um, okay. That's, that's, it's, it's amazing. Now, um, before we, we sort of running out of time as we normally do, but before I let you guys go, um, Ali, what sort of, what would you say have, are, are the character traits necessary uh, for somebody who wants to get into the field of medicine? Okay. So I think one of the big problems with medicine is that it's painted as a glamorous profession from a very young age. And a lot of people who get into medicine um, do medicine because, you know, they were either pushed into it by their parents or by their teachers, or, you know, they got good marks at school and they thought, okay, well, this is the logical step to take. Um, and the issue really is that medicine in general is a very social profession. And you, it, you know, it shouldn't purely be based on school marks. It should rather be based on your social intelligence and your ability to work with other people, be them your colleagues or your patients. Um, a lot of the times, you know, in my own personal experiences that I'm working, you know, with people who aren't, who don't have the right aptitude for the profession in that they were able to study and understand all the theory perfectly. But when it comes to practical sort of, you know, ability and interaction with patients, they really struggle. So I would say if you feel as a, you know, as a person that you prefer to work, you know, regular hours, number one, stay away from medicine because, you, you know, as a doctor, you don't work regular hours. You work nights, you work after hours. When everybody else is at home sleeping in, the, in their bed, you will be out working at night at least two, at least one, once to twice a week minimum. And that's, you know, something that no other profession really does. You know, I'm not saying that other people don't work ex like, you know, incredible hours and horrible hours, but the difference is that you will be away from your family for extended periods of time and you will, you know, being able to be at home is something that's, you know, a lot of people miss. The other thing is that if you feel that, you know, your strengths don't lie in interacting with people and you don't have the patience that it takes to deal with people, then it's another thing you have to consider. And I would say stay away from it. You know, there was um, a guy that I was at school with who was brilliant, really intelligent. And everybody thought, you know, he was going to go and be the doctor, but he didn't apply for it. And a few years afterwards, I asked him why not? And he said, because he felt like it was too much to give of himself in order to be a doctor. And I don't think that that is selfish at all. I think it's actually smart. If you stay away from medicine because you feel like, you know, you, you can't give that, it's, it's a good thing. It's a thing that you've understood because we have too many doctors these days that they love the cosmopolitan nature of being a doctor on whether it's social media or, you know, to the public, whatever. But when it comes down to it, they lack the social intelligence that you need and the patience in order to deal with people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. Empathy is hugely important. Mm -hmm. All right, let's move on to uh, you, Rory. But uh, before we do that and before I get into Rory, the one thing that still amazes me is and in, in all three of these professions, after all of these years of studying, you still call what you do practicing. It worries me. I thought you would have been Why good that, at David? it. I thought you would have been good at it by this time. You didn't have to practice anymore. But uh, that's, I suppose, a societal thing. Yeah. Rory, what what yeah. character traits were, were important for you? Okay. Before that, David, I think the the trick that that practice is that we know how to research, and that is what we practice constantly. We're practicing to find out new things because <laughs> uh, the law is ever changing. Good. So I think that's where it probably comes from. <laughs> good, good, good um, answer there. Thanks. So All right, characteristics. characteristics. Let's go. 
your characteristics. Okay, so I think the the main one, um, and I think it would be exactly the same with Ali and Michaela. I think a big part of it is just hard work. I think hard work, perseverance, normal um, cheesy characteristics that people always state, but it, it's really your time is not your own, especially during your articles, and your articles is normally two years after you do your you you graduate um, and it's at the law firm. And your time is never really your own because a large part of the economy um, or people we work, our clients, it's normally based upon we almost like the middle person. So things have to be approved by us before the transaction continues. It needs to be signed off. And we have to obviously advise clients and we almost hold liability in many cases. So that that be that being the case that it's you always have to be hardworking and persevere through those weird hours of nights i don't think it's as common as ali when you have to stay awake for like 24 hours but i think you will have many nights where it's one two o'clock the morning you're working waking up six seven o'clock the morning again to continue with the contract or advising and researching and applying your mind at awkward hours of the night and the morning so for me a successful practitioner it's hard work. And once again, if we think about it, at, at high school, it's the start of the hard work or primary school even. And it's been able to train yourself, muscle memory, um, or being able to sit down, apply yourself, study by yourself. And it's very personal in the sense that nobody can study for you and nobody can really teach you it besides yourself. Because when you have a legal issue, nobody's going to reason for you. You need to do that by yourself. So it's literally about when difficulty strikes, doing your articles, pushing through, realizing that 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 the only way through these tough times is through experience and you need to almost dig deep and push through it um so that it might be cheesy but the two real characteristics you require is perseverance and hard work yeah listen i still think you guys hide something because i've i've watched uh i've watched suits and i've watched boston legal it's it's, <laughs> it's all about the cigars and the expensive whiskey i'm telling yeah. you now that's what i thought it was david i thought it was that <laughs> in honesty <laughs> so that's 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 one of those things where when you get in there they go no 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 sorry that was just the marketing department <laughs> exactly they you. but it's it's literally i think Ali and Michaela probably will also talk about this if we get the opportunity, but you need to find your passion and what actually wakes you up in the morning. And if it is medicine, accounting, law, once you find that that item that makes you wake up in the morning, um, the awkward hours at night and the way you're applying your mind, it becomes so much easier than... Um, and almost making it hard work. I, I, I can't get to the saying now, but it's something like if you work hard, it's something you enjoy. It almost becomes a hobby. I can't exactly get the exact word. Oh, make your vocation, make your vocation your vacation is one of the yes. one of the sayings. Um, yeah. So I think that's the real important aspect that one has. To have. You need to find it and work at that. Absolutely. All right, Michaela. For you, what are your 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 sort of characteristics do you do you agree with the others is there anything you'd like to absolutely. add absolutely no i definitely concur with what the others have said um i mean in anything you do um you have to give it your all um i think otherwise what's the point in doing it um but i'd say specifically relating to so i'm currently in the auditing industry which i mean comes with a lot of scrutiny and I mean we have a lot of media attention drawn to us especially um the auditing industry and I'd say as an individual ethics is 
of the utmost importance. You have to be an ethical CA. Um, it's not a gray area. It's black and white. It's either right or it's wrong. And I would um, emphasize that for um, all aspiring CAs that ethics is very, very important. I mean, not only your ethics in your work, um, but also your personal morals and values. Um, it needs to be, I'd say, very important because this is what will guide you in your workplace. Okay, wonderful. Yes, I, 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 yeah. <laughs> an unethical CA is not somebody I would want around. Um, just in conclusion, though, um, I'm just we're going to quickly ask uh, all of you just to to chip in here. Uh, maybe start with Ali. How big of a shock and how big of a jump is it to go from matric, where you are king of the castle and you think you know everything, to walking into your first year at university? Oh, wow. Um, I think the, the difference is huge. And from personal experience, I went from, you know, at, in school where I was sort of like uh, hand-fed all the resources and all the information and my teachers would even go as far as to changing memos so that I could win prizes and stuff like that to going to a situation where I was no one. And I remember my first set of examinations in June, I failed. And I was lucky that I was able to bring it back in the second half. But going from being the star to being absolutely no one is a huge adjustment. And you have to realize that if you want to pass, it is completely up to you. If you put in the time and the effort, you will pass. If you don't put in the time and the effort, you will fail. It's as simple as that. There are people that are brilliant and don't need to work as hard as others, but generally university is what you make of it. If you were weak at school, but you decided to work in university, you will outshine every single person that was better than you at school. And the same goes for university. It's all hard work. It's all dedication and you know what you put in is what you get out. Yeah, it's one of the reasons I never went to varsity because I knew then that the social life would have killed me because I would have just <laughs> gone party, 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 party and not studied ever and got kicked out. So uh, that was me. Michaela, was it a big, a big shock for you as well? Absolutely. That jump to from school life to varsity life is massive. And I think the biggest thing is accountability because at school you have teachers chasing after you where's this assignment? Whereas at varsity, if you don't submit an assignment or you miss an exam, too bad, so sad. <laughs> um, no one's going to be chasing after you. So I'd say accountability is a very big thing, as well as um, realizing that the marks that you get in high school, you're not necessarily going to get when you are at varsity. And that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, the thing is, um, it takes a lot of effort and hard work. And if that effort and hard work gets you a 50 at the end of the day, then that's all that really matters <laughs> because <laughs> no one's going to ask you, what did you get for accounting in your first year of university? They're just going to ask for that beautiful certificate that you get at graduation. Um, so just that reality check that, um, to not become demotivated when you get knocked down um, just to kind of dash yourself off and pick yourself up and try again. Um, I mean, I had a lot of stumbling blocks along the way, but in the end, I managed to get my degree. So 
yeah also just that persistence of never giving up um yeah it's it's a process <laughs> wonderful stuff rory you just smoothly transitioned from high school into studying hey David, it's bad that you made that joke because um, <laughs> I was very much the student that didn't pay any attention at high school and then came grade 11 and matric, I realized, oh my word, I need to start making a living <laughs> of the high school and I only started working then and I went to the same school as Ali and I saw him always getting 90s and stuff and I was fine with being the low mark guy <laughs> out of our friendship but as I got to university, um, I started to understand that uh, Matrika performed well, so that was fine. But at university, for me, the big jump was that your competition is yourself. I think that's the most important thing. Um, there are always going to be people that are going to be better than you at university because when you go to university, it's really such a small percentage of people that have high marks and so forth, which is a sad reality in South Africa in the sense that only a few can go to university. But the point is that you cannot look at your friend's marks at university. You need to understand how much effort you put in and you need to find ways in order for you to improve at university. So in law, your marks at university is everything because high marks means you get good articles. Good articles normally mean that you start you on the right track per se. It's not always the right track, but you're on the right track. Um, so for me, the big jump between high school and university was fine but for other people it was I know a lot of people um, the egos were badly impacted when they were the big fish at school and they became just another ordinary snook in the ocean <laughs> at university so yes it is the jump is quite drastic for many people Wonderful stuff. Yeah, most of the people that I've spoken to that's that's been the one piece of advice they give to school leavers is university is nothing like school it's nothing like you think it is and it's going to be you're going to have to do it and it's exactly like you say because whereas at school we have teachers that that run after us and check and mom and dad make sure that we're doing our homework you get to varsity those mm. lectures don't care they don't care if you yeah. oversleep um it's not yeah. what they're there for so yeah some great advice guys thank you so much i'm still wondering now though uh, ali if i should go next time i go and see my doctor ask him what he got what he scored for diagnostic <laughs> medicine or something and just you know ask for those marks but anyway um i'm fortunate that uh, i've got a brilliant doctor and it certainly sounds like uh, you are headed that way as well emergency medicine at the moment big thing so uh Lady and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us on the Education Show. As always, it's been a pleasure. I've learned a lot, um, and I hope our listeners will learn a lot. And uh, I hope to hear from you guys again very soon. Thank you for having us. Thank, thank, thank you, you so much, David. Us. There we go. That wraps it up for the Education Show. Uh, we'll be back with more Education Shows in the not-too-distant future. Meanwhile, look after yourselves, take care, and thank you for listening. That was The Education Show. Simply learn. Join the conversation on zibuza.net. That's Z-I-B-U-Z-A dot net.